Well, it's good to be in God's house here at Porchlight Baptist Church here on our two-year anniversary. This is our homecoming day, and it's the homecoming day that almost didn't happen. Uh, power went off at 5 o'clock this morning, been off for four hours to squirrel across the transformer and, and uh, try to take church out this morning. KUB, though, came out and they fixed it there just about an hour or so ago, and so we've got power restored and uh, just feel kind of rushed today. And uh, we, we've been singing a little bit this morning, and uh, we're going to sing some more after the, the preaching today, with it being homecoming. And uh, we're not going to serve uh, lunch until later on. There's some members who wasn't able to be here because of work, and so we're waiting for them to come. And then we'll have our homecoming meal later today, and just uh, going to enjoy today in the Lord. He's blessed us over these past two years. We've been able to support uh, three missionaries now. And we're thankful for that. The Lord's allowed us to reach the world uh, with the gospel through our sermon audio efforts and Facebook live stream. And we're on all kinds of media channels, uh, Rumble and YouTube. And uh, I, I don't even know where all we're at right now. But uh, the Lord, just he can use the smallest thing and uh, reach uh, for the greatest. And uh, he can work through you if you just allow him to do it. A lot of times our problem is that we don't allow him to work through us. And uh, so we hinder uh, being able to share the gospel and spread the gospel. Uh, every little effort counts and matters. So anything you can do to help further the gospel is going to be a blessing. It's going to be a help. And uh, we've been preaching about the church um, of the golden calf for the last three weeks. And so we finished that up last week. We're getting back into our studies in the book of Romans, rooting through Romans. And we left off, I believe it's been four weeks ago since we were in here, and we that was part 26. So this is part number 27 this morning of Romans uh, chapter 8. We're going to be taking our text out of one verse. I started out this week with 10 verses. I was going to finish out the chapter, and then I got to five verses, and then I got to three verses, and then I got to two, and then I said, you know what, I'm not going to be able to cover but one verse in this text. And so um, getting through Romans is little uh, going to take a little more time than what I had first thought. But the uh, Lord blesses you when you start reading through here, seeing what all he has prepared for you. Now this morning, I want to address some things. There's going to be three really things we want to address. Uh, one of them is dispensationalism. And that's going to be something, it's really not in this text this morning, but it's something I do want to address. And then we're going to get into the, the, the two things I want to stress out of this one verse today, and that's foreknowledge and predestination. Uh, both of these things are confusing to a lot of people. Uh, one reason, because they've never heard anybody preach on it, or if they have heard them preach on it, they've heard the wrong thing. <laughs> they've been taught wrongly. And so then when they hear words like predestination, they get scared to death. And they start thinking, oh no, is that, is that me? Or is that the Jew? Is that Israel? Is that the church? Is that, you know, whatever. And so people's got a lot of um, misconceptions, a lot of uh, confusion over this, and so we want to address that today the best that we can, and we're counting on the Lord to help us do that. Uh, we're going to begin, though, by reading just that one verse, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, and here the Bible says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you today, Lord, for allowing us this opportunity to be able to share your word 
God, with this, with our church body, with our listening audience online. And Lord, we thank you for the things you've blessed us with here at Porchlight. Lord, we pray that we'll always be in striving to, uh, to further the gospel. Lord, and we'll use every means available to us that you allow those doors to be open that we'll go through them. And God, we're just praying for your help in this message today. You know what we have prepared, but God, we just want to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit and wherever you guide and direct us, that's where we want to go. Help us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So here in this part number 27 of Rooting Through Romans, we get to one of these instrumental passages of Scripture. Of course, Romans 8.28, we covered last week, I mean four weeks ago, is probably one of those most uh, famous, if you want to say it, verses in all the Bible. Everybody likes to quote it and, you know, cling to it and everything. Uh, and But verse 29 goes along with it, and it follows up to it. Uh, remember, it's it's all things work together for good for those that love the Lord and according to His purpose, His will. What does it say there? Let's not misquote it. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. And His purpose is going to be a, a running theme through this this morning, and it has been over the last uh, couple of, of messages through Romans. It's His purpose. Everything is God's purpose. His purpose is above all. Above your will, your wishes, your wants, your purpose, your all that comes in second. God's purpose is always first. And that's what the whole Bible is showing us is God's purpose. You can say God's will. They're interchangeable. His will is his purpose. And so in this morning as we look at this verse 29, uh, there's essentially these two things I said we wanted to know about, and that's the foreknowing and the predestination. And both of these, really, we could preach an entire message on these individually, and we may do that at one point, but we're going to try our best this morning to cover these. But uh, like I said, I want to preface this message first by speaking some about dispensationalism. Now, if you don't know what dispensationalism is, it simply means that God works with a certain group of people at a certain time in in history. And so... um, he works kind of different ways with different people at different times. Now, uh, when I say that, I don't mean that people are saved different ways. Now, there's some some false beliefs out there that God saves people in different ways. That one group of people get saved one way and another group of people get saved a different way. There's only one way the Bible tells us we can be saved. That's through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's by grace through faith we're saved, Period. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter what dispensation that you're in. And so you can look at these dispensations, and I consider myself to be a dispensationalist. Uh, a dispensationalist. I do preach out of a, of a Schofield Bible. All right? Schofield is well known for being a dispensationalist. Uh, he's not a hyper or ultra dispensationalist like E.W. Bullinger. Um, there's... They're, different types, really, of dispensationalism. Um, I do believe that, like C.I. Schofield has written in his notes, and I don't believe all of his notes. I don't follow these notes in this Bible to a, to a letter. In fact, most of the time I don't even look at them. When I'm preparing a message, I, I rarely ever look at uh, Schofield's notes. I usually just I, I pray and meditate and, and ask the Lord to guide me and show me 
and, and I work it all out on my own. And then after I've got my sermon prepared, I'll go back and look at commentaries and see what other men say or think. And sometimes I may adjust what I've written or thought or was going to bring out. But uh, I rarely do look at Schofield's notes. But I do agree with his seven dispensations that he singles out uh, in his Bible. Uh, and here is his definition of a dispensation. A dispensation is a period of time during which man is tested in respect of obedience to some specific revelation of the will of God. Seven such dispensations are distinguished in Scripture. All right. So right there we see Schofield doesn't say that God has a different way of saving people at different times. He says there's, there's ways that people obey in respect of their obedience to the specific thing in that specific time period. And here's the seven dispensations that he lists out. First is innocency. Innocency. <laughs> Innocent. How about that? I can't say it. Innocency. Uh, that means the time period before the fall of man, when man was innocent. When God created the, the Garden of Eden, everything was perfect. He had man there, and then, and then the woman, and they had everything they wanted, their heart's desire. They could live forever. There was no sin. That was one dispensation. And then, of course, the fall of man. Eve gave in to sin, and Adam sinned purposely. And because of that, the fall of man. That's another dispensation. Conscience, he calls it. The third dispensation is human government. Now, that's the time period after the fall up to the flood. So that time right there, human government, when all these men... And by the way, I know over the book of, of Judges, it said every man did what was right in his own eyes. Well, they did that too before the flood. And so... He says the third one's human government. Then the fourth one is promise. That is everything after the flood, or the things immediately after the flood, up to the Exodus. And so that time period there, when God makes the promise, he'll no, he'll no longer destroy the earth with water and, and uh, all this. And then the fifth one is the law. And, of course, we know the law came after the Exodus from Egypt. The children of Israel, led by Moses, and they went out to the desert in Sinai, and God gave them the law. And that time period from the law all the way to the cross, he considers that fifth dispensation. And then the sixth dispensation is grace. That is everything from the cross after Christ died until the return of Christ. You could call that the church age, if you'd like. And that's the sixth one. And then finally, the seventh dispensation he lists is the kingdom dispensation. And of course, that means from after the return of Christ, all the way through the millennial kingdom. And so those are the seven dispensations that Schofield lists in his study Bible. And uh, I do agree with these. However, I've got just a little different twist on it, and I'll tell you in a minute. Now, I mentioned hyper-dispensationalists, and it's also called ultra-dispensationalists. These men, such as E.W. Bullinger, he's the most famous for this. He's called an ultra-dispensationalist. Um, they go to extremes on trying to find these dispensations, but they also misuse God's word to, to prove their point. And so, for instance, they don't believe any of the Bible is for the church except for Paul's letters. They discount everything else to being only for the Jew, only for Israel, only for the Hebrews. And so the, the Gospels, the four Gospels, According to Bullinger, that was for the Hebrews. That wasn't for the church. Bullinger also claimed, and by the way, there's a term for this, Bullingerism is what people call it. 
And there's a lot of people that adhere to Bullinger, <laughs> Bullingerism. Boy, I'm having a tongue-tied day today. But Bullinger also claims that the church did not start on the day of Pentecost, as the Bible says, when Peter got and preached and over 3,000 souls were saved and, and then you know the church was empowered. That's, that's what I believe. The church was empowered right there. He says that was the, the church of Israel, that the real church, the church of the Lord Jesus, begins at the end of the book of Acts and when Paul is in his first imprisonment in Rome. And so that's why he holds to only Paul's letters being uh, the real gospel. He says that Paul's gospel is a different gospel than what was preached in the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and in the book of Acts, that that was for the Hebrew. Uh, certainly, I do not believe that. That is a hyper-ultra-dispensationalist uh, view, and that is Bullingerism. Now, they also believe that people get saved in different ways. That they're, you know, some people are saved one way, some people are saved another way. Uh, they don't believe in baptism or the Lord's Supper as being ordinances. They believe those were also connected to Israel and that they're no longer valid. I don't know why they say that, considering Paul stresses that point about the Lord's Supper in his writings to the church of Corinth. But they claim all that to be only for Israel. Now, while I understand that not everything in the Bible is written to us, it's not written about us, but everything in the Bible is written for us. In fact, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And so everything in the Bible is for our good. We can use it. It may not be about you. It may not be, uh, you know, uh, written exactly to you or, or anything like that, but it's for your good. And so you, have, you do have teaching today of people saying, like I, I mentioned before, Andy Stanley, unhit yourself from the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us. And see, these people are teaching a, a, false, uh, a false way of teaching. Uh, the Old Testament is for us too. Uh, we've been, I mean, just think about it. We've been, for the last three weeks, talking about the, the church of the golden calf out of the book of Exodus, and we stayed in the Old Testament, and how it applied today to the church. And so I see, personally, you can claim there being only two dispensations. You could say there's the dispensation of the Jew, and there's the dispensation of the church. In other words, Israel and the church. Because God deals with his people, and by the way, he chose Israel. He chose that people, the Hebrews. They didn't do anything to deserve it. In fact, of anybody on the face of the earth, they probably deserved it less, but God chose them. They're his people. He appointed them as his people. And so he works with them and through them, and most of the Bible is written about his interaction with the, the Jew. And of course, after the church gets raptured out of here in the seven-year tribulation, which is the tribulation of the Jew. It's the time of Jacob's trouble, not the church's trouble. God deals with them again. And they do have to come to the knowledge of Christ the same way we do, by grace through faith and believing in Christ as Savior. And so you can really say two dispensations, Israel and the church. But if you want to, want to broaden it just a little bit, I believe this, that the dispensation of the Bible is God working before the fall, after the fall, before the cross, and after the cross. 
So really those four things you could say are are dispensations that, that cannot be disputed. There's no dispution about that. So regardless, though, of the dispensation, the fact is the matter. Everyone, Jew or Gentile alike, must be saved through Jesus Christ, by grace through faith, and it's only made possible through Christ. And that is taught all through Scripture. Christ didn't just suddenly appear in the New Testament. He always has been. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, and the Word was with God. So all things were created by him, and nothing was created without him. So Jesus Christ has been all the way from the beginning. He is part of the triune Godhead. So this message, though, really isn't about dispensations, uh, the text anyway. But I wanted to say that because as we look at these verses this morning, this verse this morning, we do see this controversial thing. The Bible's not controversial. People make it that way. And they've made these things controversial. And so, like I said, I believe they've not been taught correctly, or they've avoided it, or they've assumed it, something about it, and don't really know what it means. So, now that we got all that out of the way, let's look at it again. Verse 29, Romans chapter 8. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. All right. So first of all, we see there's a he mentioned. For whom he did foreknow. He. Who's he talking about? It's God. He is God. The Almighty, the great I Am, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. Paul says, for whom he did foreknow. And there's that first word we want to examine, foreknow. Foreknow. So, think about it. The definition for the word foreknow is this, to have knowledge beforehand. It's that, that simple. You don't have to make it complicated and add all these things in about foreknowledge. It is simply knowing beforehand, knowledge beforehand. Now, I don't know what the weather's going to be like tomorrow. But I could go on TV and watch the meteorologists, and they may give us a forecast. We've got foreknowledge about what's going to occur tomorrow. That's about as far as we can go. And that's about, that's about the limit of our foreknowledge. We don't know what's going to happen in the next minute. I could drop dead standing around here preaching this morning. I don't know. God knows all because he's omniscient. That means all-knowing. And so since God knows everything then he already knew everything about what's going to occur in the future. So he foreknew it. And it stands to reason that God would. He is God. The fact is, God foreknew those that would be conformed to the image of his Son. And that's the key right here. Do you notice that? These things that he foreknew, the things he predestinated, was for those to be conformed to the image of his Son. That's what it's all about. And so... Uh, Lost people are not conformed to the image of, of his son. So you could say, God foreknew those that would be saved. Yes, you can say that. Because lost people are not going to be saved. I mean, the lost uh, he are not going to be conformed to his image. And if he foreknew those as going to be conformed to the image of his son, and he predestined them to be conformed to the image of his son, then that rules out some people. Some people are just not going to uh, believe. So all this took place, though, before the world was even created, before God even spoke the world into existence. I mean, nothing was here. We don't know, and this has always been troubling for me and puzzling, and my mind's not, I don't have a good enough brain to understand it at all, of how long God's existed. And 
We can't say that because he's he's eternal. <laughs> the Bible says he is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. So he always has been. And I, at a church I used to pastor, this this lady would come to me and ask me questions. Sometimes she said, "Now, where did God start? Where did He begin?" And it, I'm just like, "He's just He is. He just is." <laughs> you know? And it wasn't good enough for her. She just wants. She says, "I just can't understand that." He had to start somewhere. How did he start? I, he just has been. <laughs> so one day when we get to heaven, we'll know. We'll know everything. But until then, I don't think anybody has the answer to that. Just God always has been. And so all this took place before the world was created. And we know this because the Bible tells us so. But his foreknowing isn't only just speaking about knowing who was going to be saved but foreknowing that he was going to conform those that would be saved into the image of his son. So he knew that beforehand. Listen to these verses, 2 Timothy 1, 8-9. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to... His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus, here it is, before the world began. You see that? So, with God's foreknowledge, He already knows those who would be conformed into the image of His Son because that is His purpose. That's what it said. According to His own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So, what we studied last time in Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So it all boils down to God's purpose. It started with God's foreknowledge. And then his purpose for mankind was then predestined. Now, we read it last time, but I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. And we're going to see several things mentioned in this passage of Scripture that looks a lot like what we're reading this morning in Romans. Ephesians 1, 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has, here we go, chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. All right, so there we see it. God chose. It uses the word chose. Chosen. He has chosen us. And in our text in Romans, it says predestined. And we're going to look at that word more in a minute. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. The only way we can be holy and without blame is to be conformed to the image of Christ, his son. Five, having predestinated us. There's the word unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. There again, his will, uh, his purpose, it's all tied together. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9 is critical having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, 
which he hath purposed in himself. See, the, the mystery of God's will, he's revealed it to us through us, through his son Jesus, to be conformed into his image. And it says it was his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. Verse 10, that in the dispensation, there's that word. That word, I believe, is used seven different times in the King James Bible. Dispensation of the fullness of times. Now, that dispensation, the fullness of times, is when it's all summed up and, and the Lord returns and the, uh, uh, the millennial kingdom instituted. So that's the, the last one in, in the kingdom, the return of Christ in, in the millennial kingdom. And so that's the fullness of times. That's when all time is fulfilled. Uh, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, and whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. So there we see in these verses we read about God's foreknowledge, his predestining, his purpose, his will, and it even mentions dispensations. <laughs> so all these things wrapped up in just these few verses, and and uh, we see that it's all about his will and his purpose. Now look back again at our opening text, Romans 8 and 29, as we continue. So we, we know what foreknowledge is, right? It's knowing beforehand what's going to happen. In the next word, Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. And there's that word that, that just gets people all up in a tizzy. Uh, predestination. All that simply means is predetermining. It's been predetermined. So foreknowledge is pre-knowing, and predestinate is predetermining. Appointing. You could say deciding or appointing beforehand. That's what the word predestinate means. And so when it comes to predestination, there are always out those out there, and this is where it gets all crazy, that say, well, you know, God predestined some people to go to hell. Be careful what you put in the words you put in God's mouth. You're not going to find that in the Bible. You do not find that teaching in the Bible. In fact, every time predestination is talked about in the Bible, it's specifically speaking about the good things that God's going to do uh, through the work that he does. It's through Christ. It's always talking about your salvation. It's talking about your glorification. It's talking about all these things that are good that God is working out. It is never, ever mentioning condemnation or damnation when predestination is in, in, uh, in the text. So predestination is always speaking toward really salvation. Never condemnation or damnation. The Bible does not say that God predestines anyone to go to hell. It's not in there. And in fact, the Bible tells us the complete opposite of that. The Bible tells us this in 2 Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you see that? God doesn't want anybody to perish and go to hell. And when it talks about perishing, it, it's typically referring to people going to hell, people being damned for their sins. It, the Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. To come to repentance means you turn from your sins and toward Christ as the Savior. And you accept Him as Savior. That's simply what that means. God says, that's what I want you to do. And I want everybody, all, to do that. What about the most famous Bible verse in all, all the Bible? John 3.16. For God so loved the elect that He gave His only Son. Is that what it says? No. It says, for God so loved the world. The world means everyone. Whosoever. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that the elect should believe in Him. No. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we see that God doesn't only select certain people to be saved and then predestines others to go to hell. We don't see that in the Bible. It's not taught in the Bible. Uh, the Bible says, For God so loved the world and that whosoever believeth. So just get this, this fact clear in your mind. God does not predestine anyone to go to hell. And if you're getting taught that, if you're hearing somebody stand up preaching that, that's wrong teaching. It's false. It's not what the Bible teaches. And so, um, if you go to hell, it's because God allowed you to go to hell because you chose not to believe in His Son. You chose not to turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. It's your choosing to go to hell. God gives you a choice. All right, so God predetermined that we would be, as it says in the next part of verse 29, conformed to the image of his Son. So God foreknew those that's going to be saved. He predestined them to be conformed to the image of his Son. And it's amazing to think that he did that. You know, before the earth was ever formed, before God ever knew any of us, before God knew me, and it always just amazes me, before God ever knew me, he already predetermined he was going to save me. He was going to conform me into the image of his son. And uh, the kids used to sing a song. We sung it this morning. He's still working on me. And one of the verses says, there really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be perfect just according to his plan fashioned by the master's loving hand. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. That's what that little song says. But that's what the Bible tells us. We're being conformed. He's working on us. Conformed means you're being changed. You're conformed into the image of His Son. You could say transformed. We're being transformed from the sinful wretch of a creature that we are into the, the glorious, holy uh, one of Jesus Christ. And we're not there yet. He's still working on us. Paul said in Philippians 1 and 6, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So it's going to be continuous conforming that we're going through. It's a sanctification that process that we're going through. I like how John says it over in 1 John 3 and 2. He says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So John had it summed up real clear. Look, beloved, he, the saved. Look, saved people. We're the sons of God. Lost people aren't sons of God. They're not the beloved. <laughs> he says, beloved, now we are the sons of God. Now, we right now are the sons of God. And then he says, 
And it does, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. In other words, we've not got there. We've not been glorified yet. But we're getting there. He says, but we, I know this. <laughs> when he shall appear, we'll be like him. We'll be able to see him for as he is. And we're going to be just like him. So God will complete this work in us. Right now, I've got failings. I've got failures. I've got all kinds of problems that, that God is still working and molding. That's why we're considered the clay. God's the potter. We're the clay, and he's shaping us. And by the way, let me say this. God doesn't, or let me say it. The potter does not get a clump of clay here, a clump of clay here. This one, he predetermines he's going to make into a beautiful pot. Okay, this one I'm going to make beautiful. Make it beautiful, I'm going to set it up here on the shelf. But this one over here, I predetermined I'm going to mess that one up, and it's not going to be worth anything. Put it on there. Then we'll put that on the shelf, and then I'm going to bust them all. Do you, do you understand the, the folliness of people saying that God predetermined somebody's going to go to hell? The potter doesn't predetermine he's going to mess up a piece of the clay. The clay has to be conformed the way the potter does it. And so some of the clay has blemishes and problems. Some of the clay is not going to work out, but the ones the master completes and perfects is going to be done. And so... Uh, He's still working on us. And we will be conformed to the image of His Son. I may not look like Him now, but one of these days I will. But listen, even though God is doing this work in us, and it's all His work, and we are to do our part. We're to live a life pleasing to God. We're you know, to uh, avoid sin. We're, there's all kinds of things in the Bible we're supposed to do. But we're not just to sit by and just wait for God to, to finish perfecting us. Hurry up, Lord, I'm tired of this. Perfect me. I'm going to wait here until you do. And cross our arms, you know, like this and wait. Like people do at church. Sit on a pew like this, and that's all they ever do for 50 years. You know? I don't know why this church ain't growing. I don't know why this over here don't work. This over here don't work. And they've sat right there for 50 years, their arms crossed in the same spot on the same pew. Well, the Lord expects us to get motivated and do some things. Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press toward the mark for the prize, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He didn't say, I sit by and wait on it. I'm sitting here in the pew waiting on the prize, the high calling of Christ Jesus. I'm going to wait here until I see it. No, Paul says, I'm pressing toward it. I'm doing everything I can. So we are to press toward that mark. A runner has an end inside. He's looking and he's pressing toward it, trying to get to it. He doesn't stand back here and watch the other guy take off running and say, boy, I wish I could get up there to it. <laughs> uh, there's no stopping until Christ comes, until he takes us out of here. There's no stopping. We are to continue going on, pressing toward the mark. Now, as part of the body of Christ, the church, uh, we are to be perfected. And that's what God's purpose is for his church. We read that. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5, 26 and 27. Remember, it's talking about husbands, love your wives and, and wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. But it says in Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. There's going to be a marriage supper one day when the bride and the groom unite. And the church is the bride of Christ. The church is, 
at, at this time being perfected. Those blemishes are still there and God is working them out. And by the time the bride and the groom come together, the church will be without spot, spotless. And so that's what the Lord expects of the church, not the building. He didn't expect the building to be perfect. He expects those, the congregation, the body, his body to be perfected. And throughout the New Testament, we see, as it says in our text, back in Romans 8, 29, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, throughout the Bible, we see that Jesus is called the only begotten son, the firstborn son. Um, but we also see in the New Testament, not only is he called the only begotten, but we see him described as this, the firstborn of every creature. That's in Colossians 1, 15. He's called the firstborn from the dead. That's because he was the one resurrected and went to sit on the right hand of the Father. Colossians 1.18 He's the firstborn of many brethren as we just read here in Romans 8.29 He is the head of the church of the firstborn. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the head of the church. See that? Hebrews 12.23 He's the first begotten of God. Hebrews 1.5-6 He's also called the first begotten of the dead. He was called the firstborn from the dead and the first begotten of the dead, Revelation 1 and 5. And so here in our verse it says the firstborn among many brethren. It's through our relationship with Christ that we have been adopted as sons and daughters of, of God. We become heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And so we are considered the brethren. And Jesus is called the firstborn among many brethren. So all the church, all Christians are lumped into this as brethren. It's not, not just men. Brethren right here is a universal term meaning all those that's been saved. And so Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren. Now the Bible does tell us there'll be few that, that enter into the straight gate and the narrow, but that the, the broad road, road goes least to hell, and there'll be many on that broad road. But here we see there are many brethren. Who is who is the uh, Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren, among many brethren, and so it's through our relationship with Christ that we are considered brethren. Lost people are not considered brethren. Um, it's I'm going to stop right there. I, I know I wanted to cover more of these verses, but I believe we've got this where the Lord uh, has allowed us to understand it the best we can. Remember, dispensationalism is simply God working at different times and different people in different ways. Not their salvation. It's not that. Uh, the foreknowledge simply means God knew beforehand those that was going to be saved. And the predestined predestination simply means that God predetermined those that were going to be conformed to the image of His Son. So in other words, those that would be saved. He's going to conform them into the image of His Son. And so don't let those words like that scare you or run you off or cause you not to study the Bible. Um, look at your lexicon, your dictionaries, and uh, go online and pull up some things. Get eSword. eSword is the best resource for anybody that studies the Bible because it's free, and you can download all these commentaries. There's a lot of the older ones on there. you got some of them like John Gill and... Uh, you can you can get Schofield's notes through Esor. Uh, Bollinger's notes are in there. I read a lot of these men's commentaries and notes and things. It don't mean I believe them all, but you need to understand the best you can 
about the Bible. And if, if it helps to get a commentary and read it, by all means do that. Of course you are to pray about it, study on it, meditate. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate and guide you in the Scripture. But there's no reason why you wouldn't want to consult other men that have studied and, and uh, have knowledge about such things. Uh, Paul, remember when he was in prison and he told Timothy to bring me the parchments, bring me the books. You know, if you can't bring nothing else, bring those books. <laughs> Paul studied and studied and studied. It don't mean that he was only studying the, the scrolls or the scripture of the Old Testament. He had other things there that he studied. And so I believe that, you know, God gives us all these things as a gift to be able to understand his word the best that we can. Now, am I saying that I understand it perfectly? No way. I feel like just a, a, a kindergarten kid when it comes to the Bible. I just don't know it. I don't know it enough. But I strive to, and I believe the Lord will help us the best that we can. And uh, just remember that. And I'm thankful that the Lord has blessed our church over these last two years. I, you know, it's our ministry's changed a little bit. Uh, when we began, our focus was upon going into other homes and going to nursing homes. Uh, and visiting folks that couldn't get out. And uh, that was one of the reasons that we started this ministry. And then COVID happened. And that kind of kept us from being able to do any of that. We were no longer able to go into the nursing home. They, they won't let you go in there like that anymore. And, uh, you know, so it's limited us to being able to go places. But God has opened up uh, opportunities to share the gospel over the Internet. Um you know, a lot of people have downloaded our, our sermons and, and watch us online. We've got, uh, I think this past month, we had 260 or so downloads of our messages. month before that, it was double that. It was 400 and something. And so we're reaching a lot of places, 13 different countries last uh, month. And we're thankful that God does give us that uh, opportunity to do that. And we just pray he'll continue to allow us and that we'll be faithful and obedient and, uh, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I am glad we're having homecoming today. A little different than usual. We're not having a big crowd because of COVID. And, uh, you know, we've, we've got all the food ready and we're going to eat here in a little while. But I believe we're going to do some singing and we're not going to live stream that part of it. We're just going to go ahead and cut off the, the live stream and get into doing some singing. And uh, until till next time, good Lord willing, the creek don't rise. We'll, we'll see you then.